As we turn in the Scriptures this morning <coughs> to John chapter 1, uh, over the next five weeks, today and the next uh, four Sundays in December, we're going to be looking at the advent of Jesus the Messiah, in essence, His coming. Today we're going to be considering the Eternal Son, but I wanted to give you a preview of things to come by um, giving you a little bit of uh, what's coming in the next few weeks. Next Sunday we're going to be looking at what it was like for Jesus to leave His throne. Philippians 2 gives us a very clear image of that. And um, what did it mean for Christ to step out of the presence of the Father and His eternal uh, reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords and come to this earth uh, to be uh, born of a woman and, and born in human flesh? So we'll look at that next week. What was it like for Him to enter the womb of Mary? and uh, to take on human flesh in the Incarnation. We'll consider that on December 11th. December 18th, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, his actual birth, and the the humble uh, servant that he came to be, uh, born in poverty and in humility. And then, uh, make your plans now, okay? You've got a month and a week just about to plan to be here Christmas Sunday morning. (laughs) Christmas comes on Sunday this year. And what comes first, Christmas or Sunday? (laughs) Coming together with the Lord's people. And uh, Christmas Sunday morning is a special morning. And uh, it's going to be a special message. It's not the typical uh, baby in a manger message. But we're going to be looking uh, finally at what it was like uh, for Jesus to be tempted in all manner as we are. Um, I left the the, uh, verb off. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. But uh, He was tempted at all points as we are. And yet the Scripture says, uh, without sin. He knows what it's like to, to go to the mat with the enemy and to go all the way and win. And He knows how to come to our aid and to our rescue. And so, uh, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us. That's going to be an important message. And I hope that you will just plan that Christmas Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, you'll be right here. And uh, we'll worship the Lord together. So, this morning, I want to go back to John's Gospel And I I want us to look together at what John has to say because John is the only one of the Gospel writers that goes all the way back. He goes back even before time begins. Uh, I have difficulty getting my head around this and, and even our language is inadequate Um, I'm sure that this does not appropriately express what went on in the fellowship of the triune God, the Holy Trinity. But I have written in the eternal counsel of the triune God, the dream of creation and the necessary redemption of human beings was forged 
before the earth was made. In the divine mystery, the eternal Son, the Word of the Triune God, was purposed to be the Redeemer. Our Lord Jesus, before time began, <clears throat> had a mission. And His mission was to redeem the human beings that He would create and that He knew would ultimately reject His sovereignty and His Lordship and therefore would need redemption. So John begins his story of the life of Christ before time begins. Uh, I'm going to uh, press you with a little bit of grammar this morning. I started to say bore, but I hope it's not boring. But there are some things going on in John's prologue or his beginning that um, we need a little appreciation of grammar to grasp uh, in all their fullness in order to understand what he's telling us. And as we look at these opening verses, the Scripture says, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. I have provided a translation for you at Roman numeral 1 that draws out some of the meaning particularly of the verb tenses that are used in this first verse because they're so very important. And also, if you care to make something of it, uh, there is an absence of an article that I think is significant. Um, if I uh, talk to you about uh, pick a chair in the room, uh, I'm suggesting that you could pick any chair that's here. But if I tell you to pick the chair, and I point to this one, or tell you that chair, you know that I only mean one, and that I have a specific chair in mind. John uh, begins by saying, in beginning, and he leaves out the word the, or the, and in the, in the Greek language, it has the force of a specific pronoun, that chair, the chair. And John is trying to let us know that it doesn't matter what beginning you pick. You can pick any beginning in the beginning. <laughs> he was always there. The Word was whatever beginning you pick. He already existed. He literally predates time. In beginning was the Word. And the verb tenses that John used, uses stresses the continuous action or the continuous existence in the past time. Uh, let me try to illustrate that again with English usage. Uh, you're watching a baseball game and you say simply, uh, he hit the ball and ran to first. And all you're doing is reporting a fact. You're telling me that once he hit the ball, he ran. And he landed on first. And the focus is that he got the first base. And how he got there, well, he ran. He ran to first. 
Point taken. End of story. Or you might say, he hit the ball, and I was sitting there watching him run like the wind. He was running as hard as he could. Now I've added to the story a little bit of action that I'm drawing out. I'm letting you know that it was a process, and a process that took some time as he gave every effort into the running. Greeks have a way of expressing these same concepts, and when they want to stress the ongoing activity, they use a certain kind of verb tense. And that's what John uses here. In beginning, always was the Word. The stress is on His existence. Not on the fact, but on the reality that He was always existing. That's the emphasis. So whatever beginning you pick, Jesus was always existing. And furthermore, and the Word was always being face to face with the Father, with God. Jesus existed in such a way as the Word of God that He was face to face with the Father. There is a whole world of theology captured in that simple statement. Because for one thing, it suggests to us equality. Jesus was not below the Father or above the Father. The Word was face to face with the Father. He was in every way standing on level ground with the triune God. The emphasis is upon the fact that the Word of God is equal to God. It also suggests intimacy. That Jesus had a relationship where He could stand face to face with God, with the Father. You recall how in the Old Testament the Scripture says that um, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend and that Moses would go uh, to the tent of meeting and he would meet face to face with God. Uh, That's not suggesting equality there, but it is suggesting intimacy. It's suggesting fellowship. It's suggesting closeness. That Jesus Christ was not standing beside or behind, but He was standing face to face with the Father. And that He could look at Him straight on in the intimacy and fellowship of the unity of the triune God. And this one was always in beginning face to face with God. In these two verses, John stresses for us the reality that Jesus Christ is the eternally existing Son of God, Word of God, Jesus the Messiah of Nazareth, existed in the presence of the Father and of the Spirit, from eternity 
past. Furthermore, John leaves no doubt in our mind in John chapter four, uh, 1, verse 14, that this Jesus, this Word of God, was in fact Jesus of Nazareth. Because he tells us that this Word about whom I speak became flesh and pitched his tent or tabernacled or lived in our midst. And he says, and we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John leaves no doubt as he opens the story of the coming of Christ, he leaves no doubt that he is speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, who existed before time began, face to face with the Father, equal in every respect. One of the fascinating things, and you may ask yourself, well, why did John pick this strange term or noun for Jesus, the Word. In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Why did he pick this word, Word? Why did he do that? I'm greatly oversimplifying <clears throat> Greek philosophy and to an extent Hebrew uh, thinking when I say a perfect word is a word that fully expresses the essence and embodiment of the concept that it conveys. <clears throat> if I tell you that I have a water bottle on my podium, what image forms in your mind? Something come to mind? What does it look like? Is it, is it round? Is it rectangular? Is it plastic? It clear, it's clear? Could it be green? Could it be glass? Could be a lot of things. So, water bottle is not exactly a perfect word to convey what's on my podium, but you know what a water bottle is. It's the bottle that holds water, right? So, when I say I have a water bottle on my podium, <coughs> you think I have something like this that holds water. There's something up here you couldn't see, and I can use a word to tell you what it is. It's a water bottle. A perfect word, if I, if I had a perfect word for this, and I, and I don't, because I can't give you one word that tells you what this is. It's Fiji, natural, artesian water, in a rectangular bottle with a pyramidal shaped top and a blue cap. That's a lot of words. <laughs> and you're beginning to get a little better idea. If you could have a perfect word that could convey what you can't see in my mind 
so that the exact same image is reproduced in your mind, that would be perfect communication. If we could only say what we really mean. <laughs> you know how many different ways there is to, to say something. And uh, what's ironic is people that study this kind of thing tell us that the actual word choice is only 7% of communication. Inflection gets involved, tone, posture, <laughs> all those kinds of things uh, start to get involved in the communication uh, process. But if there was a word that could adequately convey a precise image and picture of the true thing it represents, that would be a perfect word. And Jesus Christ is precisely that. He says to Philip in John 14, He that has seen me has seen the Father. I am the perfect representation of God the Father in every way that you can know Him. There are ways in which we cannot know God. He is so far beyond us and transcendent of us that there are, it will always be mystery in the Trinity and in, in the nature of God. But, to the extent that we can comprehend the Father, Jesus is the perfect expression. All you have to do is look at Him, watch Him, listen to Him, observe Him, and you will see God. Because He tells us in John's Gospel, I never do anything except what the Father tells me. I never speak a word that my Father does not give me. In other words, Jesus is saying, every time I act, every time I speak, every time I uh, heal the sick or raise the dead or drive the money changers out of the temple, you are seeing an image, a picture of my Father. Reflecting His attitude, His heart, His mind, His words, His nature. If you've seen Me, you've seen God. He is the perfect representation of the nature of God. And so, John tells us, this one who perfectly pictures for us the Holy God became flesh and dwelt in our midst and we beheld His glory, glory as of an only begotten from the Father. Friends, do not ever doubt the deity of Jesus Christ. He is and always has been and always will be fully and completely God, a member of the eternal Trinity. And when He came to this earth, 
and took on human flesh, we're going to learn next week in Philippians that certain things were placed on deposit in the heavenly realm pending His return. But, He came as fully God. So that when He dwelt in our midst, we beheld Him full of grace and truth, fully God and fully man. As one person has said, He was as much God as if He were not man at all, while as much man as if He were not God at all. It's another mystery. It's hard to get your head around that. But the Bible tells us important things about that nature of His union of God and humanity together in human flesh that is crucial for us to gain a full appreciation of Him. The second thing that I want to highlight from John's prologue is that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Creator. Through Him, all things came into being, verse 3. <coughs> and apart from Him, not one thing has come into being that has been made. Our Lord Jesus Christ, that came and lived in our midst, is the Creator. He is not a creation. He is the Creator. He is the One who made everything that is. How did God make the world and the universe and all that's in it? What did He do? He spoke a word. And it came into being. I think in Genesis 1, it is a clear representation that God spoke through the Word, our Lord Jesus, by the Spirit to make the world and the universe and all that it contains. The Father providing the, the action, the, the, the genesis, the, the motivation, the Word, bringing it to pass, the Holy Spirit shaping and fashioning it as the Father through the Son has spoken. And John tells us that Jesus Christ is the Creator. All things through Him, all things by Him were made. And apart from Him was not anything made that has been made. When you think about that statement, again, it points to His deity. If nothing was made that has been made without Him, could He possibly be made? He could not. All things that have been made were made by Him. And so He Himself cannot be a product of creation. The Father did not make the Son. The Son eternally existed in the presence of the Father and of the Spirit. 
He is not created. He has no beginning. There is never a time going back, as I have already emphasized. There is never a time going back when there was no sun. He has always been face to face with the Father. We need to have that very clear in our mind. People today are challenging the deity of Jesus Christ. They're raising questions. Some say he's a created being, the first creation. And that after that, everything was made. But that's not what the scripture says. Some people deny that he was divine at all. They're saying that that baby that was born in Bethlehem um, somehow earned stripes to be God. He took on deity. He, uh, he earned his right to become divine. Some say that he even sinned during the course of his life because he was such a normal man. But there is nothing in the Scripture that suggests to us anything other than that he is the uncreated, eternally existing creator of all that is the perfect, sinless Son of God. And John goes on to say, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The, the light that burns in the heart of every single person. I was listening this morning as I was driving in uh, to uh, spend some time before the service, and I was listening to the message uh, on XM Radio and the song was about the God-shaped void inside of us, the hole that only God can fill. It wasn't original with songwriter. It goes back a, quite a ways. But um, there is in the heart of every person a sense of the divine. There is a... We are made in His image. We carry that divine spark and... For many, it has all but gone out. It needs to be renewed, to be made alive. It needs a new birth. But every human being has the image of God stamped in their life. And He is the life and the light that He offers to us. And through His Redemption, a way to come back to God. For the Scripture says He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, has come to give us the opportunity to be restored to fellowship that we might be made over again as children of the living God and that we might have a relationship with Him through a spiritual new birth.
as we begin our study of the advent of Jesus Christ. Let us settle the conviction that before we talk about anything else, we are talking about the fact that God the Son Eternal left His heavenly throne and came to this earth to live as one of us among us, that He might represent and portray the nature and character of the Father, and that in absolute sinlessness He might go to the cross to take our sin upon Him, that He might give us in its place His righteousness. Father, we thank You this morning. That you did not create us, and then when things went off the wire at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you were caught flat-footed and aghast and didn't know what to do next. But that all along, there was a plan in place to redeem us, to restore us. You would not let us be lost forever. You would give us a way home. And we thank You, Lord Jesus, that You were willing to leave Your heavenly throne and come and live in human flesh to be the sinless Lamb of God to take away our sin. And give us a new birth and a new relationship with you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.